If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. That's where I want to begin at tonight. Now, um, today's a, or this evening's a special service. We're going to have a baptism uh, at the end of our service. Um, when we have a baptism, I don't always preach on baptism, uh, but I do sometimes. Uh, and it's been, it's been probably at least a couple years since I have, maybe longer than that. And it just felt that's what the Lord would have us to do tonight. And so I want to take some time, and um, I don't even know that it'll really be preaching, but maybe more explaining. But I want to go through, and I want to walk through uh, baptism, what it is and what it means. And, and you know, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, rem maybe remind you of a few things that it represents, it symbolizes. Um, maybe there's some things that you didn't know or hadn't heard before. <coughs> but I want to take this opportunity to explain what it is that we're doing here tonight. So in Acts chapter 8, starting with the 26th verse, let's go ahead and, and read through this. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and setting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him. And read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and set with him. The place of the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shear. <clears throat> so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation? For this man, or for this life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, and they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And, G and Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Let's stop right there and let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Will you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time here this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here. We thank you for each one you sent our way tonight, Lord God. Thank you for the many blessings that you poured out on us, Lord God. 
Thank you, Lord, for, uh, uh, Lord, you've just been so good to us. Lord, the freedom that we have to be here is a gift from you. Every breath that we draw is a gift from you. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. God, we don't deserve it and we're not worthy of it. But, Lord, you, and you knew that, but you've done it anyways. And so, Lord, let us be a people that always gives you praise and glory, that gives you all the praise and glory because you alone are due it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us just to focus on your word here tonight, to understand what your word is telling us and teaching us here tonight. I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, Lord, that we would not only have ears to hear it, but we'd have hearts to receive it, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that your word would find a lodging place deep in our heart, Lord, where it could grow uh, and transform us from the inside out into the image of your son. Lord, my prayer tonight is, is that you move in our midst in a mighty way. God, I pray maybe for some of us it's to stir up our remembrance. For others of us, maybe it's to reveal to us, show us uh, uh, some things that we didn't know and that we didn't understand. God, whatever it may be, Lord, help me to get out of the way and let you be God of this service, Lord. Our heart's desires for your will to be done here tonight. And God, I pray, Lord, uh, uh, above everything, Lord, I know that it is your will that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. You tell us that in your word. So, Lord, it is my prayer tonight that if there is any here that don't know you, any that are lost and undone, God, let tonight be the night that they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Because the most important thing in this life, in our walk, is our walk with you, our relationship with you. So, Lord, my heart's desire is for you to have your way and your will. And, Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help tonight. Please clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to speak here tonight. Forgive me of where I fall short. God, I'm asking for your anointing. Lord, I'm asking for a filling of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Unction. Lord, I'm just asking that you'd have your way and your will here in our midst tonight. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. So God, just uh, do what only you can do here. We love you, and we'll give you all the glory for it because we love you, we worship you, and we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, in what I'm doing right now through these scriptures, I want to answer the questions about baptism. I want to answer questions about what it is, how we do it, why we do it, what does it mean, all right? And so that's my, that's my intention here tonight. And maybe it will just stir some things up and remind you. Uh, maybe God will use it and deal with you. Whatever, whatever the will, Lord's will will be here tonight. Uh, I want you to understand, first of all, baptism. It is something that we um, usually refer to as a Christian ordinance, okay? Uh, we think about that word uh, ordinance. And so what is a Christian ordinance? And a Christian ordinance is a, is a practice that God has ordained for a, a... The only way I know how to put it, and this is kind of technical, is a literal... Uh, perpetuation by the new covenant 
people of God. That's kind of a definition that I had written several years ago, is that a Christian ordinance is a practice that God is ordained for a literal perpetuation by the new covenant uh, people of God. What I mean by that is God has, uh, it is something God has told us to do. He has ordained it. He has set it in motion. It is something he means for us to literally do. There is uh, symbolic meaning in it, but he means for us to literally do it. And this is something specific, right, uh, to the new, to, to the, to the us, the church, those that live in the church age, for the new covenant people of God. The people under the old covenant, now they had some different things that they'd done that might have looked similar, but it was not the same. They were not baptized like that we are baptized and so anyways as far as a christian ordinance goes there is three of them that we observe the first one is the one that we're talking about here tonight and that we are going to partake in tonight and that is baptism uh, now i want you to understand all these things represent and symbolize what christ has done for us and what it means to us but salvation does not come from any of these okay there is some groups that will teach that that you get salvation out of these and that is not the case right if you are not saved whenever you get baptized you're still not going to be saved whenever you come out of the water all right and so anyways uh, so baptism it, that is a time of rejoicing okay it, it is when we make we are making a public profession of faith in Christ it is a it is usually an initial public profession of faith in Christ but it is a public profession of, of faith in Christ and I'll get into that more here in a little bit uh, the second ordinance that we observe which we did here just a few weeks ago is the Lord's Supper or some people will call that communion uh, we do this in remembrance of the Lord's death for us his sacrificial death on Calvary's cross so it is it, like a memorial service it is more solemn right it's a solemn ceremony where we remember the Lord's sacrificial death on Calvary's cross for us, okay, for our sins. And then the other thing which we, which we also practiced here just a few weeks ago is foot washing, right? And that is a special ritual uh, that we participate in that the Lord has asked us to do. It teaches us humility, right? And it teaches us the need for daily cleansing from sin. I think there's a picture of Christ in the act as well. And so all of these things, they are to remind us, right? Jesus set the example. They are all to teach us what it is that Christ has done for us and what it means to us and what it represents to us. And, and something else that you need to know uh, about our congregation, our church here in particular, is the observance of these Christian ordinances, the observance of baptism, the Lord's Supper, foot washing, right? In this congregation are what you call open, okay? That means that all who are saved are free to partake in these ceremonies, in these observances, uh, in these ordinances, right? That is the only prerequisite to partake in these, in, in, in these ordinances is to be saved, right? You don't have to be, your name does not have to be written on the roll in our church or in a Free Will Baptist church or on in any other church for that matter. The only place that your name has got to be written is in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? You have got to be saved. That is the only prerequisite. These ordinances, they are object lessons. They were designed by God to help us to understand and to remember what it, what it was that Jesus or what Jesus has done for us. 
I, I, I looked, I wrote it down and brought it with me in the uh, Free Will Baptist Treaties. It defines, I was looking for a good definition of Christian baptism. And I just copied this down and brought it with me, but it defines Christian baptism as, now here's the quotation begins, the immersion of believers in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in which is represented the burial and resurrection of Christ, the death of Christians to the world, the washing of their souls from the pollution of sin, their rising to newness of life, their engagement to serve God, and their resurrection at the last day. Now that's kind of a mouthful, but I think that's pretty complete, all right? So let's, let's walk through this, right? Maybe one of the first questions that's asked is, when can I be baptized? When can I be baptized? Well, baptism is usually a first step in faith. Now, there is times where we feel like that because of when we were baptized, maybe at a very young age, or uh, there's certain circumstances that's happened in our life, we've drifted away from the Lord, and, and now we've come back, and, and, and we want that fresh start, and we want that new start. But whatever the stage is that you're going through, baptism represents that initial, that first step, right? That, uh, that renewal, that recommitment, right? Or commitment to the Lord. And so you might be asking, what does this mean, right? Well, let me, let me break it down to you this way. There is a certain order of events that takes place, okay, that is scriptural, that, that the scripture lays out to us, that bears out to us. Uh, even the scripture that I read to you tonight bears this out. I, I think it is most concisely said in Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, okay, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, it says, many of the Christians hearing, believed, and were baptized, okay, Hearing, believed, and baptized. That is a pretty concise statement, but that is the exact order. Hearing, believing, and being baptized. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, earlier in this chapter I read to you, it's reported that when they believed Philip preaching the uh, things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Later, right, uh, Philip's answer was very clear in the scriptures I read to you here tonight. When the Ethiopian uh, eunuch asked, uh, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized, right? Uh, Philip's answer to that was very clear in verse 37. He says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, all right? So the same order is followed uh, later on by Peter, right, in Acts chapter 10, after he had preached to the family of Cornelius, right? After an initial experience in which they received the Holy Spirit, it was then asked, can any man forbid water? Talking about water baptism, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight, we're talking about water baptism, right? And so he says, uh, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. That's Acts 10 47. Uh, You go farther into Acts chapter 16 and I think you see another excellent example of what I'm trying to say here tonight. That is the story with the Philippian jailer, right? In that occurrence the jailer after this miraculous event happens and the 
jailer is shaken to his very core, his very foundation. That's what God will do when he gets a hold of you. He will shake you to your very foundation, to your very core. And that is what's happened to that Philippian jailer. And when he does, the Philippian jailer asks the apostle Paul, right here, he's asking Paul and Silas, he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You will notice when you read that set of events that in Paul's answer, baptism is not even mentioned. He does not even mention baptism. Him and Silas simply give the answer, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Right? That's Acts 16.31 I just quoted to you. It is only later on in Acts, when you get down a couple more verses, where it was reported uh, that they was baptized, he and all his, right? That means his household, his family, straightway. The fact is, the fact is, is that the biblical order is hearing, believing, and then baptized. What does that do? Well, first of all, that eliminates infant baptism. Right? That's something that's taught and practiced in a lot of churches uh, that we don't understand. Or that, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to understand, I guess. Uh, and the reason that is is because it's not biblical. If you look at the biblical order, infant baptism is not, you don't see that anywhere. The order is always the same. It is hearing, it is believing, and then it is being baptized. That also eliminates, there's, there's churches right here in our own town that teach that you don't get saved until you're baptized. They get the, they get the order of events out of order, right? They say that you, that, you, uh, that you hear, you get baptized, and then you're saved, right? Then you believe. That is not the case at all. You hear, you believe, right? That's when salvation takes place, right? Repentance is tied up in that believing. I'll get to that here in a minute. But anyways, and then... You are baptized. Now, another question that gets asked is what about the age of accountability? That's a good question. person must reach the age of accountability. What does that mean, the age of accountability? Well, if we take a strictly scriptural, biblical approach to it, the age of accountability can be defined with a person and it's individual from each person. But whereas they've heard the gospel, they've been convicted of their sins by the Holy Spirit and they believed the gospel and have repented of their sins, right? So when are you old enough to get baptized? When does that accountability happen, right? When you're old enough to hear, to understand, to believe and to repent of your sins, right? That is when that takes place, right? When can you get baptized? When you do hear the gospel, when you do believe the gospel, and when you do repent of your sins. That's when. That's when. You see, the order is important. Because the baptism in water, it does not save you. You, have, you already have to be saved before the baptism in the water will do you any good at all. Now, next question, that's when. When do you? Well, when you've heard, when you believed, right? 
when you have uh, believed the gospel, repented of your sins? That's when. How do you? Well, the word baptize is not a translation. It is actually a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, or however you say it. It simply means to immerse or submerge completely. The very description of the word should be sufficient, right? That should be enough to show us that the mode, that how we're baptized, right, uh, is practiced, uh, how it's practiced in the New Testament. It is immersion. It is completely being submerged in the water. But probably the most favorable argument, probably the best argument for immersion is found in what it symbolizes, right? In baptism, we see a picture. We see a symbol of the believer's identification, right, with Christ in his burial and resurrection. You hang on to that word identification because that's important. Hopefully you're going to hear that over and over again in the next few minutes. Baptism is a symbol of the believers, right? I mean, it's, I don't, I, how can we even call it baptism if you're not a believer, right? You've had to heard the gospel, you've had to believe the gospel. I think tied up in believing a part of that is repenting, right? And so you hear, you believe, you repent, right? Then you are baptized, right? And that baptism is a symbol, right? It is a symbol of the believer's identification with Christ in his burial and resurrection. There is no way that pouring or sprinkling can be made to correspond with that in any way, shape, or form. Only immersion in water gives a picture that is corresponding to his burial and resurrection. So then the next question, we've answered the question when, we've answered the question how, right? It's full immersion into water. Maybe the question that needs to be answered is what does it mean? What does it mean? What does the scripture tell us and teach us? Well, in the book of Romans, if you just flip over a few pages in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, we see something that maybe will shed a little light on the answer to this question. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the, uh, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I think those five, ver five verses makes it clear that the ordinance of baptism uh, symbolizes the believer's identification with Christ in his burial and resurrection. Think about this for just a minute, okay? Immersion, right? That is going into the water, being immersed into the water, right? That symbolizes death, right? It symbolizes Christ's death and the death of the old man, who we 
were the submersion. That's when you're completely under the water, right? You're submerged in the water. You are buried in the water. That symbolizes the burial, right? You are identifying as you go into that watery grave. You are identifying with Christ in his death. As you lay there in the bottom of that watery grave, that symbolizes your identification with him in his burial. And glory to God, hallelujah, when you come out of the water, right? That is the emergence. And as you emerge out of the water, It symbolizes the resurrection, that resurrection to new life, hallelujah. The resurrection from the the grave that Jesus Christ, right, that we see him experiencing some 2,000 years ago. The resurrection, glory to God, the physical resurrection that we will experience one day at the second coming of the Lord. But spiritually, the resurrection of the new man, no longer who you used to be. The old man is dead, died with Christ, buried with Christ, and now we are risen to new life with Christ not the same as what we used to be in the actual experience of salvation the believer dies to self and to the old life you're no longer who you used to be the old man or the old nature is buried in the grave and by the new birth the believer is resurrected to a new life. It is these spiritual experiences that are symbolized by baptism. Think about it for a minute. The first part of verse 4 says, buried with him by baptism into death. See the picture of descending into the baptismal waters, that it symbolizes that we have died to sin. And as the water closes over our heads, it symbolizes that we lay there buried with Christ. This is the proof of our death to sin. This is the witness to the world, the testimony to the world, that we've died to our old selves. We've died to sin, right? And this should be a real death. You understand? Just as uh, Christ's death was a real death, this should be a real death a, 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 in a spiritual sense, right? A real death of the old man and the old nature. And then if you go on in verse 4, it says, As Christ was raised up, from the dead by the glory of the Father. So, our, so is our coming out of the water. That should symbolize that we are a new person that is now dedicated to a new life in Christ. In a very real way, our identity becomes united with His so that His experience becomes ours. He died, and we died with him. He rose, right? Christ rose from the dead to a new kind of life, and so shall we. Water baptism is a symbol of the spiritual truth that has already taken place in your life. That's why you've got to be saved first. Verse 5. Uh, that I've just read to you, I believe, teaches us that we cannot be joined to Christ in one thing and not joined to Him in another. If we died out to the old nature and the old man was crucified, 
the process of that death should have brought freedom from sin to the new man. That doesn't mean that you won't ever sin again. Temptation will come and, and it, it, you very well may give into it and you very well may sin again. But you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer who you used to be. Sin no longer has dominion over you. If you go on through Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul is teaching that, right? Sin no longer has dominion over us. He is teaching our death to, the, our death to sin, right? And we are made alive to God. So, the last question maybe is, why should I? You said I'm already saved. So you said that I don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I would never say that you've got to be baptized to go to heaven because the Bible doesn't say that. But I sure would hate to try to go without having been baptized. It's an initial public, it is a public profession of faith, identifying with Christ. Why would you not want to be publicly identified with Christ? I would have, if you weren't willing to be publicly identified with Christ, no matter what it might cost you, I would have to wonder and ask the question, are you really saved? Have you really, is the old nature really been crucified? Is the old man really dead? Right? Has he really been buried with Christ? Have you really been raised to new life in Christ? Are you really a new person in Christ? Right? Does he really have your heart? But let me go ahead and give you some more reasons. I think one of, one of them that is important, and, and I think we brought it out in our Bible study a few weeks ago, but we find it in Matthew chapter 3. We find the example that Christ set for us when he is baptized. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbid him, forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. That means then he baptized him. Uh, verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let's just take a moment and think about this scene for just a second. Baptism is taking place here. It has begun with John the Baptist. Great groves are coming to, to be baptized by John. This is not the same baptism that we take part in, but it is somewhat similar. Uh, what is happening here with these people who are coming and, and having being repenting of their sins, they're coming to the water, confessing their sins, and being baptized of John. What is happening here is there's a change in their identity, right? Their identity is no longer their Jewishness, right? These were Jews that were coming to the water. Their identity is no longer with Abraham, right? Their salvation is no longer, and their security is no longer uh, based on that. 
the whole idea of them coming, confessing their sins and being baptized of John was the idea of them recognizing their need, right, uh, of a Savior. They're recognizing of a need of repentance, of a change, and the need to start over. There's no longer, they're recognizing, there's no longer any salvation or security in claiming that they are the seed of Abraham, that they are descendants of Abraham. And, and those that were baptized were John were being, uh, were being identified with their repentance. This new people that God is raising up is no longer marked by their bloodline to Abraham, but instead by their repentance, right? Uh, their need to do a 180 degree change in their life. That's what repentance is, is turning away from sin and turning towards God. And so that's what they're being identified with. And when Jesus comes and he sets the example for us, the only one to have never sinned, right? There's no need for him to be baptized. In that sense, there's no sins for him to confess. That's John, one reason why John's having such a problem with this. John's saying, I don't need to baptize you. You're needing to baptize, you needed to baptize me. But Jesus said, no, suffer it so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. And so anyways, this new people, right? This, when, when Jesus was, let's talk about Jesus for a second. When he was baptized, he was identifying himself with us. Sinful man. Jesus was identified with the sins of mankind in his baptism, right? Je Jesus was willing to share with the rest of mankind, right? In other words, he was willing to be identified with the rest of mankind in every way, including the consequences of their sins. Now, just to make sure that I'm clear, nobody misunderstands me. Jesus shared in the consequences of the people's sins, not, of course, in the act of sin. Right? By being baptized, he was being identified with a fallen human race, right? And we see that, right? We see the, how that plays out. We see the results of that. We see that described in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 when it, when it says that he was being made sin for us there on the cross. Something, the only one to have never known sin was made sin for us. Beyond my understanding, but yet that is what took place. And now, when we as believers, right? This is believers' baptism. When we as believers are being baptized, that baptism now identifies us with Christ. That identifies baptism. Hear me. Baptism now identifies us with Jesus. And then when we even look at the end of this gospel here in Matthew... Jesus' very last words uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, right, which was instructions that he has given us, was that we, that we, now, uh, we now call these instructions the Great Commission, uh, right? And he tells us to go and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Look at that, Matthew uh, chapter 28 and verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, 
if you're sitting there asking the question, why should I get baptized? Maybe the real question should be, why wouldn't you get baptized? Why wouldn't you? I've heard people say, I've had, you'd be surprised. I've had a number of people tell me that they, they come to me. I didn't go to them. I, I can't think of a time right now that I've approached somebody and said, hey, look, you need to get baptized. Um, approached people and said, you need to get things right with God. But I've never approached them that I can recall anyways. God would have had to really direct me to do that and say, you need to get baptized. Now, I've taught people about baptism. I've led them in that direction. I've instructed them in it. But I've had people who have sought me out and come to me and begin to tell me that they're a believer, but they've never been baptized. And I've heard different reasons why. The most one of the more common ones I've heard is that their fear of water. Afraid of water. Not afraid to get in the shower or take a bath. Hate to see them with the lake, the river, or the swimming pool. I mean, maybe, maybe in some of them there's really a legitimate fear of water there. I, I'm not, you know, making fun or, or questioning that. But I don't see that as a valid reason. Maybe it's a very fearful thing for you. Maybe it is. I can't give you some sort of magic phrase that will make that fear go away. I can tell you this, I'll make sure you won't drown. I'll get you back up before the bubbles stop. But what I really, as I begin to talk with these people, what they're really wanting me to say is they're okay. And, that I, and, and they're wanting me to tell them that they're going to be just fine and, and, and God's okay with it and they're going to go to heaven and all that stuff without publicly identifying themselves with Christ. I would never say baptism equals salvation. But I, with a, with a whole lot of confidence, would say, um, if you're unwilling to be baptized, if you've never been baptized and you're unwilling to be baptized, I'm afraid that there might be a severe spiritual issue there. And you may need to search your heart. You know, here's how I'm going to end this part of the service. You're used to me ending the service with an altar call. This bench up here in the front is an altar. It is a part of our tradition that we have been doing for 150 plus years, maybe 200 years. But it is not something, don't hold it as something sacred that you've not had church if the preacher didn't give an altar call. This is something 
recent, if, if you look at the last 2,000 years, and that's your timeline, this is something recent. This is something that we've started doing in the last 10% of that time, the last one-tenth of the history of the church. Um, it's only been in the last, it's only been since the early 1900s that we even called it an altar call. Before that, it was the Pentecostals that actually started calling it an altar call. Before that, they called it a mourner's bench. Before that, they called it uh, an a the anxious bench or something like that. Before that, right, the first, the first one that we have any historical record of making, a, making that kind of a, a similar call is Whitfield, and, and it was, he made it fairly popular in there for a long time. The preacher at the end would give a call for you to come to the front and be married to Christ, spiritually. That's, that's kind of neat when you go to think about it. But if you go back even farther than that, in the early, early church, they always had church where they had a hole of water. We can go back to the book of Acts and we can see them having church by the river. We can see that they always made sure that they had an opportunity. And the, the, the altar call, the, the, what happens, what we do at the end of the service, really what it is, it's a call to action. You have heard uh, the gospel. You have heard the word of God. The minister that has ministered the word to you. That means sir, to serve, right? The minister serves. The minister serves the word of God to you. The minister that has served the word of God to you now calls you to act upon that. The altar call is a call to act upon that, to come and to pray, to come and to get saved, right? And many of the things that we look, right? That is the main intention of our preaching, right? And another call to action is the call to come and be baptized. And so that's the call to action tonight. Um, that is the invitation that, I'm, that I am giving here tonight. Now, I know that um, we already have uh, Shiloh that is going to come and, and be baptized. She's already talked to me. Uh, but listen to me. If God is dealing with your heart right now, here's water. What doth hinder you? What doth hinder you? If you, if you have never been baptized, and you've heard the gospel, right? I've, 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 I've hit on it here tonight, but uh, that Jesus come and that he died for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of the world, right? He has come and died for you, right? So that, so that you can spend an eternity with heaven, right? You have heard here tonight the good news that we owed a sin debt that we could never pay in a million years, but God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever will believe on him, right? Whoever will call on his name, right? If we will believe... If we will uh, repent, uh, confess our sins to God, turn away from those sins and turn to God. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news, right? You can, you can be saved. That's what you've got to do. And the next step is to identify yourself publicly with Christ. Don't sit there and say, man, the Holy Spirit's really dealing with me and I really need to do that. But I didn't bring any, I didn't bring any dry clothes. Well, goodness sakes, it won't be the first time that you ever went home wet. And this will be for a lot better reason than the last time you were at the creek and you went home wet, all right? 